This is Beta Cell, a show about people living with type 1 diabetes. I'm Craig Steubing. This is the third episode of a four-part T1D Looks Like Me series that BetaCell is doing in partnership with JDRF for National Diabetes Awareness Month. Each Monday of November, we're exploring a new theme that focuses on some of the challenges that come along with type 1 diabetes. This week, we talked to blogger and playwright Jesse Baer. On BetaCell, we've talked to a few different people who were misdiagnosed with type 2 diabetes before their doctors eventually realized they actually had type 1. Jessie also fits into this category, but she was only 26 years old when this happened to her. She has one of the most fraught and emotional diagnosis stories I've ever heard, which she recounted in her blog, Type What Now? A year and a half after she was diagnosed, she adapted her blog into a two-woman play, also called Type What Now? in which she starred. Why did you decide to put on this play? Yeah. So I had this experience being diagnosed with diabetes, which eventually became type 1 diabetes uh, in February 2014. And at the time, I was probably about 70 pounds heavier than I am now. And over the course of the next few months, as I sort of started to manage type 1 diabetes, one of the kind of consequences was that I started losing weight. And something that was happening consistently was people would see me and congratulate me on losing weight and tell me how great I looked and even sometimes ask, like, what's your secret? And it was really tempting to be like, oh, well, I got an incurable autoimmune disease. But rather than do that, um, I thought, you know, I actually, in this crazy mostly awful experience have gained some insight into ideas about body image that I think would be worthwhile to share with people. So I started a blog and all I did in the first like six posts on the blog was just tell my diagnosis story. And I got a really, really exciting wave of responses from people. And I heard from people who had diabetes. I heard from people who didn't have diabetes. People were just writing me and saying, you know, I can really relate to this. The things that you say about sort of hating yourself and and hating your body and then learning to appreciate it in a different way. I'm really connecting with it. But I'm also a theater maker. And so I realized that the most powerful theater I've ever made has always been deeply personal. And this felt like a story that would translate really well to the stage. I don't normally act in my own stuff, but in this case, I felt like, well, I probably could tell this story best. So I decided to turn the vlog into a play and premiered it about a year after I started the blog, which was about 18 months after getting diabetes at the 2015 New York Fringe Festival. I hate my arms. I hate how fat they are. I hate the fat that hangs down when I hold them out to the side. I hate how tightly they fit into normal sleeves. I hate the way the fat expands when I press them against the side of my body. Oh, I hate my stomach, obviously. Uh, I hate my calves. They're humongous. I hate my thighs because when it gets really hot out, I can't really wear a dress or a skirt because my legs will start to sweat and rub against each other when I walk and I get like a rash there and it super hurts and I walk around like literally hurting with every step as though my body is saying, you are so disgusting. You don't even deserve to walk without pain. I am enormous, I am enormous, and I hate, I hate, I hate that I am enormous. That's how you felt in December of 2013. 
Yeah, I think if you are a woman and you are not a societally mandated weight, if you don't fall into like a very specific weight range that society has determined is appropriate, you are sort of hit daily with like a deluge of the reasons why you're not enough or not acceptable. And I had spent my entire life really overweight and battling with my weight. I certainly could have stood to lose some weight. Every time I went to a doctor, I was told that. But ironically, if you look at like the true markers of health, which are things like blood numbers, cholesterol, A1C, you know, before I got sick, all those markers were actually quite good for me. I was sort of swimming along. I was just carrying probably an additional like 50 pounds. And I didn't really feel that. I was physically fine and and able to sort of live the life that I wanted. But I was so, so unbelievably unhappy with how I looked that it really kind of permeated every moment of my day. And I was at kind of a rock bottom in 2013. At the end of that year, I remember I stepped on the scale and I weighed 211 pounds. And I thought, this is the worst I've ever felt about myself. And this is the most disgusting I've ever felt. And that list that I start the play with, it's really wrenching for me to relive it because it's so there. I can so easily sort of snap back into that mindset. That's like the first 10 of 100 that I could have pulled up if I had wanted to. You know, I think my original draft had like 50 and I realized it took 15 minutes to excite, recite them. And I thought, you know, people probably will get the picture at the end of the first 10. I say in the play, and I think about this a lot, um, it's kind of a, a perfect irony. I sometimes wonder if I didn't like make a deal with the devil somewhere, if I didn't say like, I would do anything to lose weight. And then, oh, irony of ironies, well, you're going to get an autoimmune disease and that's going to force you to do it. Of course, looking back now, I would, I, I would take that body back in a second because that body was actually perfectly, beautifully functional and was able to do for me everything that I wanted it to do. And uh, and I just had no appreciation for it whatsoever. I was completely distracted by this sort of like all-consuming self-loathing. It's not something I'm proud of for sure. Lots of people later in life get misdiagnosed with type 2 diabetes when they have type 1. But usually that's because they're just old enough and it's coming on slow enough that it just looks like type 2. Uh, unless you're actually testing for the antibodies to prove you have type 1, you know, there'd be no real way to tell. But when you start experiencing these symptoms, and as you say in the play, you wait a long time before going to a doctor to confirm your suspicions of type 2 diabetes... They think you have type 2 for a very different reason, and that's because you're so overweight. When your doctor first comes and tells you that you have type 2, what did that feel like? Um, it was... It was awful. I mean, it was among the more awful moments of my life. I had spent so many weeks trying to sort of deny it. I mean, essentially what happened is I started having all the symptoms that you have when you get diabetes. I was thirsty all the time. I was peeing all the time. I was exhausted all the time. And I, of course, Googled it. I Googled like peeing all the time. <laughs> and of course, the first result that came up was diabetes. And so it was in my head. And I, I thought that this could be what was happening. And I remember thinking, well, type 2 diabetes comes on sort of slow. And 
if I really discipline myself and I just starve myself and I eat nothing and I work out all the time, maybe I can lose enough weight that by the time I have a physical, which was in like, it was scheduled for like three months from then, it'll just disappear. Because obviously with type two diabetes, you can, they sort of call it like put it into remission. You can be disciplined enough with your diet and exercise that you don't actually need to take medication or be on insulin. So I thought like, oh, maybe that can happen. And it'll just never even pop up on my doctor's radar. And I was getting so sick so fast that I was getting kind of more and more desperate with my attempts. And I would try and work out and just collapse because I would be pushing myself way beyond what I I could do. And I was having these like insane food cravings for juice. That was like my thing. I would just dream about fruit juice, (laughs) probably because my body needed like sugar so bad. And I was just in such bad shape. I was like falling apart. And I, I had been weighing myself and I saw that I was losing weight. I lost like 10 pounds in a week and I weighed myself before going to bed. And then I woke up in the morning and I weighed myself again. And overnight I had lost like a pound and a half. I was in spectacular denial, but I was smart enough to know at that point that I was in really bad shape and I had to do, like, I had to go to the doctor. This was beyond my shame or my vanity. Like, this was, my life was at stake. And I went to my doctor and I said to her, I think I have diabetes. And she said, there's no way you have diabetes. That's crazy. And she weighed me and I had lost like 18 pounds or 20 pounds. And she was like, wow, that's fantastic. Great job. You've lost all this weight. And I said, no, I haven't been trying to lose weight. This is not a good thing. I I really think that, and she's, no, 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 it it can't be that. So I felt like I was trying to convince her, you know, like I'm totally sick. And she left the room to review my blood test. Oh, sorry, to review my urine test. I just took a urine test. And I knew, I just knew she was going to come back and tell me that I had it. And as the minutes sort of ticked by and she didn't come back, I just knew, like I knew, and she, I knew she's not coming back because she doesn't want to tell me because she's devastated. And that was exactly it. I mean, she finally walked into the room probably like 15 minutes later and I saw the look on her face and she didn't even have to say anything. I just looked at her face and I suddenly, I had a vision of having to tell my parents. I had a vision of having to tell my boyfriend. I had a vision of having to tell my friends. Like I just saw all these moments when I looked at her face and I thought like, I'm going to see faces like this, that sort of like pitying, disappointed look. And I really thought I was being punished for being overweight. That was what society kind of teaches us about type 2 diabetes. It's 100% not how I feel now. But at the time, it was like, yeah, like people who are fat and can't control their diet and lack discipline, they get this as punishment. And I thought, how bad do you have to be at controlling your diet to get this at 26? Because you hear about people getting this in their 50s or 60s, and I'm 26, and this has happened to me. I must be just the worst. I must be like lower than low. And that was, that was what that moment felt like to me. So you go home with type 2 diabetes and eventually your doctor calls you and tells mm-hmm. you to go to the ER. It's funny. So I went home. I, I went to the appointment where she diagnosed me at like net 10 in the morning or something. And she said, take this metformin, go home. Here's a bunch of paperwork. Think about this. Here's a glucometer. You're going to have to learn how to test your blood sugar. And then it was like nine o'clock that night and she called and said, oh, your blood work all came back and um, you're in DKA and you need to get to the ER. So I went to the ER and they took a bunch more work. I know now that what happened was they tested for antibodies. They tested my C-peptide. 
my C-peptide came back really low, which meant that my body actually wasn't producing that much insulin. And a type 2 in DKA would have a really high C-peptide because the body would be producing as much insulin as it possibly could to try and bring um, the blood sugar down. But it's just not enough for type 2. But in my case, my C-peptide was lower than normal. So my body was not producing that much insulin, which was a sign that it was type 1 and that my cells were actually just dying. And I tested positive for the GAD antibodies. So these are two tests that if they ran them in a normal weight person would instantly confirm type 1. There would be no question. But what the doctor actually said to me that night was, we think it might be type 1. And then I didn't know why. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know really even what type 1 was. That was so not on my radar. And I, I talk about this in the play. My only experience with type 1 diabetes was the Babysitter's Club. Stacy in the Babysitter's Club has type 1 diabetes. And I had seen the movie and it seemed like a really cool disease because she was really pretty and really skinny and she just got to sort of demand food sometimes. And in the movie, she collapses and her maybe boyfriend notices her collapsing and he's very solicitous. So it seemed like a very sexy disease. <laughs> Obviously, I knew like slightly better than that. But in my head, that was literally my only association with it. Disease for like hot, skinny people where they get to demand food. So as soon as she said that, I just thought, well, there's no way she's wrong. And then I went to the ICU. And the next day, I had a bunch of doctors and nurses come in and type one didn't come back up. They just were talking about type two. And I remember saying someone said to me last night, it might be type one. And most of the responses were like, well, yeah, yeah, probably not. And it was only after I got discharged and I got assigned an endocrinologist. So many days later, almost a week later, I was sitting in an endocrinologist's office and she was like, this is 100% type 1 diabetes. There's no question of that. But I had spent about a week getting sort of amped to the idea that I had type 2, thinking about that, thinking about what it would mean, thinking about, oh, well, okay, if I do a really, really good job managing this, I can get off insulin. And <laughs> to suddenly have someone tell me, well, it might be type 1 was an extraordinarily confusing thing because on the one hand, if it was type 1, I would get to be a victim, you know, because I didn't make type 1 happen to me for being overweight. That was just something that struck me randomly. Whereas if it was type 2, I wasn't a victim. I was just implicit in, in my disease. I will say, like, as my disclaimer, I believe disease makes everyone a victim. There, there's nothing complicit about getting diagnosed with diabetes, whether it is type 1 or type 2. It's not a judgment call. But at the time, it, it just totally felt like a judgment call. And I was so deep in my self-loathing that I couldn't really believe it was type 1. So I like kind of wanted it to be type one because I would get to sort of unburden myself. But I also kind of didn't think it could be type one because that would mean that I wasn't a dumb, fat jerk who did this to myself. But I also kind of wanted it to be type one because I didn't really know what type one meant, except that it was that sexy disease that Stacy had in the Babysitter's Club. But I also kind of wanted it to be type 2 because I had this vague sense that type 2 meant I could maybe not have to be on medication for the rest of my life. It was just totally, totally confusing. And when I ultimately was sitting in that endocrinologist's office and she said, this is type 1 diabetes, it sort of felt like that would be, and I can't believe I'm saying this to you and please don't kill me as like a fellow type 1. It felt too good to be true that it was type 1. And that was just how like utterly confused I was about 
diabetes in general and especially type 1 diabetes. And to all the type 1s listening, like, I like, don't mean that at all. This was just this was just a measure of me, like, at a totally confused time in my life. I can't even explain. Like, I feel like I'm just rambling explaining this to you because it was so ridiculously muddled and confusing of a time. You know, according to studies, people with type 1 actually feel more shame about their disease than people with type 2. And it's because people with type 1 are afraid of being confused with type 2. It's weird to think that we would feel so embarrassed by something completely out of our control just because of the stereotypes of type 2 that you were, you know, aware of at the time. Yeah. And that's why you were hoping to have type 1. Yeah, I think I was I mean I was like the most caught up in that bias and it's it's really unfortunate and I think that my blog's crusade is to sort of like remove shame from disease. Disease is just disease and it it sucks and type 1 and type 2 are both totally sucky diseases and should neither should carry any weight of shame. And in the months after I got diagnosed, every time I told someone I had been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, I mean, every time, like my dentist, like the friend of a friend or an acquaintance, like every person I talked to, I would say that I had recently been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And they would say, are they sure it's type 1? And they would sort of like give me an up down. It's like, hey, you seem overweight. Are they sure it's type 1? And it was like, how could you ask that of someone? Yeah, you're right. All my doctors were totally wrong. It's like, you know better just by looking at me. How did you react to that at the time? I felt it made me feel terrible. And I usually was like, um, well, maybe not. I don't. Yeah, you're right. Maybe not. Well, you knew it was type one, right? I totally knew it was type one. But I was so it, it was so embarrassing to sort of like get that response, because what that response says is, you know, you're fat, right? And it was so shaming that I usually just sort of like mumbled like, oh, yeah, maybe it's not. And I I went to my endocrinologist repeatedly, I would say to her, you're sure this is type one, right? And she thought that I was saying it because I was sort of hoping to get off of insulin, like, because that had sort of been dangled in front of me in the hospital as like, if you do a really good job with this, because it's type two, you can get off insulin eventually. And she would always be so sad and be like, I'm so sorry, it, it's definitely type one. And, and, and I was saying it because I was like, I really want to be able to defend myself against these people. <laughs> like, you're, you're positive this is type one, right? Because I will feel totally embarrassed if at the end of the day, like all these strangers are right. I remember the first time I told someone I had diabetes and they didn't respond with that. And I remember being like, oh, and I sort of looked at myself and I realized I've lost some weight and I've lost enough weight that this is not the first thing that pops into people's heads now when I tell them I, I have diabetes. And now I get super defensive about that. And like if anyone talks to me about type one or type two, I'm like, I'm like on the offensive, like right away, I'm like jumping, to, jumping on them. Like, yeah, I freaking wish that this was type two. I wish I had been diagnosed with type two diabetes. It would be a lot damn easier to manage. And I, I, I could be off insulin right now. So and, and I think that that crazy sort of like sense of hope that I was feeling that maybe it was type one. I think I was reflecting something that society thinks and feels like type one is much more deserving of sort of your pity or deserving of your compassion than type two. And I think that that's just so insanely twisted. And I think it's so unfortunate. And how how is anyone with a disease like this not deserving of compassion? Everyone with diabetes, regardless of type, type one, type two, LADA, 
type 1.5, you know, any of any type is deserving of extraordinary compassion because it's it's really, really a difficult disease. And type two faces its own challenges, but also then faces this really nasty bias that, as you're saying, spills into the type one world and makes type ones probably sort of defensive about their disease. We can't help this disease. It exists. It, it can't be until they cure it, but it can't be taken away. But we can help our attitudes towards it. And I think that we really need to like paradigm shift our attitudes towards disease and and withdraw this idea of like shame or responsibility from it. Have your feelings towards diabetes changed since you lost weight? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's it's funny because I I every time in my life before this that I had tried to lose weight, my goal was to lose weight and I was unsuccessful with it. In this case, my goal was actually not to lose weight. My goal was just to have better blood sugar control. And then a side effect was that I, I lost weight. I was consistently just sort of choosing food and making food choices that wound up having me lose weight. And I think that that was that was the key was like my focus has shifted from my weight now. I can obsess about diabetes in the way that I used to obsess about my weight. And I, I have found that the shift was made very easily <laughs> and maybe not for the best. And I think that this is something that I have found certainly in, in the type one community is like people are, are sometimes sort of like private or secret about their numbers. And I really, really understand that. And I feel the same way. And sometimes like, like I remember the first time I ever saw someone with a Dexcom, I had been diagnosed for like six weeks or something. And I was like, wow, what is this thing? And they explained to me what it was. And I sort of reached for it and he pulled it away and he was like, uh, yeah, anyway, and kind of like put it away. And I remember being like, well, what's that about? Like, why can't I look at his Dexcom? And now if somebody tried to put like take my Dexcom and look at it, I'd probably do the exact same thing. It's like, I don't want you seeing like my numbers. Like they weren't that great today. Like, I don't, I don't need you seeing that. And I actually like, <laughs> I, I had pulled it out a few months ago on the subway. Maybe it was like six months ago. And I like turned it on. I think it was like 175 and like dropping. So like not bad. Like I'll just say that. Like it wasn't like I was like 400. I was like 175. And a guy next to me leaned over and looked at it. And then he looked at me and he said, oh, ate too many sweets, did we? I was like, whoa, guy, are you kidding me? And I think that it's very easy to feel for me the same kind of shame I used to feel about the numbers on the scale. I can very easily translate that to shame about like my blood sugar numbers. And that has been like an unfortunate side effect is like, well, I no longer obsess about my weight, but I 100% obsess about my A1C and my blood sugar and feel like deep shame when my numbers are bad and feel like great elation and like I'm a worthier person when my numbers are good. And it's just like, it's, it's kind of like a sick thing. And so on the one hand, like losing weight has almost like, I just sort of like found a new outlet for those very toxic feelings. And I'm trying now. It's funny because I, I think I'm in a, a really interesting phase. I have gone through lots of phases with diabetes and I don't think I, because I've only had it for two and a half years at this point, I don't think I've hit sort of like a stride necessarily. I'm like, all right, I totally understand how this fits into my life now. And, and maybe, I don't know, you've had it for a while, right? Do you ever hit a stride? Do you ever feel like, oh, I like totally understand the place that this has in my life? No. Okay. <laughs> I know that's not a comforting thing to say. 
fair. But maybe, you know, I've had it 15, you know, 15 and a half years. So maybe 16 will be the yeah. year that <laughs> my sweet 16. There you go. No pun intended. Maybe that'll be the year that it all sort of makes sense. I think it's only recently that I've come to truly accept it. Mm. And not in the sense that I thought, oh, maybe I don't actually have type one. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. you know, to your doctor, you know, I've known that I've had it and I've known it's not going away. You know, I'm not going to wake up and it's going to be okay. A lot of friends of mine, you know, when they say I'm a diabetic, mm-hmm. I always like, no, 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 you have type one diabetes. There's a difference. Mm. But in a way, I kind of feel like everything that comes with having type 1 diabetes, which is a lot, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. just counting carbs and taking a shot. It's sort of having this sixth sense about your body and what it's doing and what it's going to be doing and what it was doing all the time. It's not that diabetes defines who you are. But so much of living with the disease defines how you react to situations. Mm-hmm. It's not that, oh, I can't run a marathon because I have type 1 diabetes. It's I can run a marathon, but I have to do this, 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 and this to do it. You know, it's not stopping you from doing things, but so much of your life evolves around it, you mm-hmm. know, from... You know, literally the moment you wake up until 1.30 in the morning when your Dexcom goes off telling you you're low, you know, there's no escaping it. And it doesn't stop what you do, but it's, it's you know, kind of a, a part of what you're doing. And um, before I let you answer that, that's a great segue, I think, to <laughs> in your play, you test your blood sugar. And you explain that, you know, it goes off because you go high. And I think that, you know, you, I think you say in the performance that I watched that it's not just for dramatic effect. Like maybe you would (laughs) have had it planned that you would test your blood sugar and give a shot. So people can sort of see what that's like, but it's actually, you know, the adrenaline rush of doing the play is making your blood sugar high and you have to do stuff about it. And coincidentally, my blood sugar right now, my Dexcom just told me I'm slightly low. I'm 77 and kind of flat. So I'm not too worried about that. But that was just sort of a happy coincidence that I think mine is literally going off right now, actually, too. You can't escape it. No. I mean, I I know I'm not going to be 77. I'll tell you that much. But I feel it more than... I think it actually is. I'm going to test too while you're testing. Oh, yeah. It's just going to be a funny thing that we do. (laughs) The commercial break. Yeah. Music can play over us testing. Well, and I didn't I didn't play any music in the play. I made everyone watch me test in total silence. I mean, it ground the play to the to a halt. Maybe I'll do that too. Yeah. <laughs> like, here's your taste of diabetes for 5 minutes. Well, I'm 62. 
Ooh, you don't have to. You don't have to tell me what you are. I was one fifty-six. I'm going to uh, grab some chocolate milk from the fridge, mm. and I'll be back in fifteen seconds. All right, I'm going to take some insulin. I'm using the same glass that was in the sink for when I woke up at 1.30 this morning to low and I needed to get chocolate milk. And that's kind of my thing. Like, you know, diabetes can make me do a lot of things, but it's not going to make me do one extra dish a day (laughs) because I'm low. It's my, it's my little victory against it. So what, what were we saying? I've totally lost track. You were talking about the fact that it, adds a layer to everything yeah the the diabetic versus having diabetes and right, right and that was sort of because you were asking me if it if you ever hit your stride yeah do you feel like you're now you know a different maybe not a different person but like jesse bear plus jesse bear you know 1.1 1. 1, now <laughs> that you have diabetes yeah, it totally, I, I do feel like a different person. All I wanted before I got sick was to lose weight. I mean, that was all I wanted. I thought about it all the time. And then after I got diabetes, I was tuned in. Like, as you're saying, like, I just was thinking about diabetes all the time. And it was like, it was so distracting that it actually made me stop thinking about my weight. And I would have said that there was nothing that could have taken the place of like my fixation on my weight and my brain because it was, it was all consuming. But diabetes actually did it unbelievably. And just as as sort of you're saying, like you make all these concessions to diabetes to kind of ensure that it doesn't get in the way of the things that you wanted to do. Like one of the things that I realized was if I shift my eating in a way to sort of optimize my blood sugar, then I suddenly get my life back a little bit. You know, I can go a little bit longer without testing and without thinking about this and I can do more and I can walk more and I can be awake and not exhausted and I can not have a low blood sugar that or a high blood sugar that will like totally be so physically demanding it'll take me out of this and so I was suddenly like making choices to try and optimize my time and like optimize my life and as a result I I lost weight but I the focus was like just getting my life back you know, before I wanted to lose weight so badly, but actually my weight wasn't really standing in the way of anything I wanted to do. I could do the things that I wanted. I was carrying some extra weight, but I wasn't being held back in my life, except sort of mentally. And suddenly diabetes just sort of like shows up and imposes itself on every aspect of your your world. And it's always going to be there and it's never going to go away. So you try and kind of optimize and structure your life around making that as small of an imposition as possible. And if diabetes has taught me anything, it's that my body is pretty amazing. And the things that I ask of it, the fact that it can do those things is something that I should have incredible gratitude for. And I didn't used to, and I do now. And that is super awesome. And I'm not going to say like, thank you, diabetes, because like, mm, but learning gratitude is, is an extraordinarily powerful lesson. In a way, you replace sort of the mental roadblocks you had to doing things you wanted to do with physical roadblocks of diabetes. Yeah. And then you realize that the mental roadblocks 
they're nothing compared to the physical ones. <laughs> like the physical ones really do literally sideline you. I mean, you you have no choice when your blood sugar is low. You have to take care of it. And it makes the mental roadblocks seem a lot more surmountable, if you will. But do you think that the process of living with type 1 diabetes and having to take care of yourself and you being, you know, the person keeping yourself alive and making decisions every hour, every minute sometimes, do you think that process made you appreciate your body for what it is and contribute to that self-love? Oh, yeah. A hundred percent and incredibly well articulated on your part, too. I mean, I think it took me like a year and a half to be able to sort of like articulate that. I remember when I first kind of started getting it, like it, it took a really long time. And my doctors had said, you know, like your blood sugar is going to be totally out of whack when I was first discharged from the ICU because I, I was in DKA when I got diagnosed. And they said, you know, it takes it takes the body a really long time to recover from this. And so here's all the things you should do to like achieve good blood sugar control. But it's probably not going to work that well for the first couple of weeks. And it was so unbelievably frustrating because I would be doing everything I was supposed to be doing and I would still be seeing like these really high swings and the first time I ever went low and and experiencing that and it was just so rough physically and I remember I was diagnosed in February so like June-ish I started having like pretty good days where I remember suddenly being like oh I haven't thought about diabetes in like an hour and a half and that was like totally awesome and I totally felt kind of a rush of appreciation. And I'm so astoundingly grateful to my body when it performs the way I request it to perform. And I completely took it for granted before. I didn't even know what a pancreas was before. <laughs> I, I mean, I'd heard the word, but like, yeah, I took my pancreas for granted. My God, I took, I took every organ in my body for granted. This is in my play, and I totally stole it from my boyfriend. Now, fiance, he, he said to me once I was feeling just totally down on myself. And, you know, I'd had a really hard day and my blood sugar had been all over the place and I felt lousy and I was tired. And I just said, this is so unbelievably unfair. And, and why is this happening? And I can't believe I just, I just have an organ that doesn't work. And he said, yeah, you do. But at this exact moment in your body, there's 10,000 other systems, all of which are working perfectly to keep you alive. You know, your lungs are working and your heart is working and your blood is flowing and your brain is working and it's connecting to your eyes and your ears and your mouth. And it was, it was a really stunning moment when he gave that to me because it really does sort of open you up to how well your body does work and you know, when you lose a piece of it and you suddenly have to recreate that manually, not only do I appreciate what it could do before, but I really do appreciate what it can do now. And I'm so grateful for it. And that's pretty amazing that our bodies can do that for us. I know sometimes when I am having a bad diabetes day, which, you know, to be fair, you know, most days have some bad diabetes element to it. You know, no day is perfect, right? You're low, yeah. you're high, it's this or that. Do you get angry at your body for that? Have you replaced one sort of mm. self-hatred with another? Yeah, it's, you know. Because I kind of do. Yeah. And I can't even really blame the disease mm -hmm. because it's not really doing anything. Like it's done the damage. Right. <laughs> and... It's hard to blame, I don't know, the universe 
factors <laughs> that I don't even really understand, like things I can't even pinpoint. Do I blame the line chef at the restaurant who put too much salad dressing on my salad? Right. And because you're the one controlling it, you feel like all the decisions are because of you and all of the results of those decisions are because of you. And there's definitely times where I'm in the high 200s, my blood sugar's not coming down, and I get so angry. And I'm not sure if I'm angry at myself. or what. I don't really know what I'm angry at, but I, I definitely will be like, all right, I'm going to just soak myself in insulin to get this down. Yeah. It's, it's like an angry bolus. Is that a thing? An anger bolus? Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God, a hundred percent. Like where you're like, what would my stupid doctor say I should take? Well, my insulin to carb ratio is this and my insulin sensitivity factor is this. So I need 2.93 units. And I'm like, yeah, I'm taking five. And like everyone can go F themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I talked to you for an hour about how gratitude is like the path to enlightenment and how important it is. And I think that like, I'm getting so much better than it at it, but it is such it's a daily struggle. And I 100 percent feel like such frustration. And actually, this is like a totally weird story, but I, I actually only test my blood sugar on six of my 10 fingers. I don't know why. I'm sure I'll eventually move to all 10. Which six? The three middles on both hands. So I don't do th thumbs or pinkies. I never do thumbs. Really? No. It's p more painful. I don't know. It's just a weird shape. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm right now I'm on these six. And and I think that like one thing that I realized and this was like a totally weird moment was my right index finger is sort of like where I was default going without really thinking about it just because I like I'm already and that's what works best. And I started to develop kind of like a, you know, sore spot because I was doing it consistently in the same place. And then when I realized that, I thought like, oh, I got to branch out. And so now I've been like been making a concerted effort to do other places and that sore spot really kind of hasn't gone away. And I noticed like, a few months ago, my blood sugar was really high and I was mad and I was testing and I was defaulting to that spot. And then I realized like every time my blood sugar is really high and I'm really pissed off, I test in that spot. It's like I'm like punishing myself because it hurts. And that's just like the spot that I go to when I'm like mad at myself. But it's almost like a mini punishment for myself in the same way that like, you know, then you anger bolus and you're like, I don't even freaking care if I'm going to be like 50 in an hour and a half. I'd rather be 50 in an hour and a half than be like stuck up here longer. These are feelings that I feel like <laughs> very regularly totally relate. And it's it's just about like I I have to like work through them and like excise them and then hopefully like come back to like a much better place. And, and even as I was talking about my show to you earlier, I was starting to like feel better and like really feel that gratitude again. I realized I like haven't felt it for a few weeks. It comes and goes, but I'm, I'm just trying to feel it more than I feel the like utter pissed offness. <laughs> Which happens all the time. Yeah. And no. Nobody is perfect, but in another way, everybody is perfect, including mine and including yours. And this is going back to sort of what you started talking about at the beginning of the interview, about how your play is to tell people they're beautiful. Yeah. Can you sort of tell me how you say that in the play? 
How do you how do you convince these people? They're beautiful. What what are the words you use? It's definitely the moment that I I was most afraid to do. And I woke up one day and I had realized it. You know, when you wake up and you just like you've come to a decision about something and you're like, yep, that's the right answer. And I I hated the answer. I was so terrified to do it. And I project a massive picture of myself from before I got diabetes, like at my heaviest. I realized, too, that like if you don't know me and you come and see the show, you know, you're watching a person tell this story about being overweight, but you're not actually seeing them overweight. You were seeing me at the weight I was at the time and the weight I am now. So this is also kind of a moment if I if I show you a picture of me before you're going to see like, oh, she was telling the truth, like she really did weigh that much and she really did lose that weight. And it was also important to me that if I was going to show what I looked like before, I did it at the end of the play when hopefully the audience is going to see me differently. You know, they're not going to see the picture and think, oh, that's a fat person. They would see the picture and think, oh, that's what Jesse used to look like. And look at that functioning body that she had. And I project the picture and I'm sort of giving this monologue about beauty and I turn and I look at the picture of myself projected and then I say, like, I was beautiful then. I was as beautiful then as I am now. And then I look at everyone in the audience and I say, you're all beautiful too. And then I I look people in the eyes and I try to look everyone in the eye. fairly small house. I think it was like a 40 person house. So I would, I would look at everyone and tell them how beautiful they were. And every show there would be one or two family members, friends who had sort of known me, but maybe never seen this sort of side of me. They would be crying and I would be crying. And then there would be all these strangers crying. And it was just like this room full of people who hopefully are thinking about and seeing each other and themselves in a different way. And I say in the play, what isn't beautiful about a human being who is alive? And that's really true. I think everyone is extraordinary and everyone is beautiful. And your body, despite any limitations that it has, is just a beautiful thing. Are you happier today than you were at the end of 2013? (laughs) Yeah, like for sure. And not because I've lost weight, but because I I feel like I have a new appreciation for my body and for myself. And I think, too, when you get sick, it really shifts perspective on, like, what matters in life and the people that love you and the people that sort of, like, band together to support you. So I feel closer than I've ever felt to my friends and family and to myself, too. I feel like I've learned a lot about myself. Which is not to say that diabetes is a good thing, because it sucks. But thanks to the people that I care about and a lot of hard work, it has sort of forced me to a very different place with myself. It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> but, it, but it puts a lot of things in perspective. Totally. The, it, very well said. Much better said than I said. <laughs> <laughs> So if you could go back and talk to your old self, what would you tell her? I mean, I think I would just like, I think I just needed a hug. Like I just was so mean to myself. I just really needed a hug. I I needed someone to give me a big hug and say that I was worth it and valid and 
mattered and just as beautiful and functional as anyone. And I would tell myself that nobody hates me as much as I hate myself. There's not like a big conspiracy of people surrounding me, you know, whispering about me. And I'll say it again, like broken record, but more grateful for what I, I had and what the extraordinary things that my body was doing every single day. I had a, a real life pancreas with real life beta cells in it. And they were really producing insulin exactly as much as I needed for every meal. I ate a waffle and my body knew exactly how much insulin to give me. That's so awesome. I do such a worse job than my old pancreas could do. I wish I could talk to my old pancreas and give it a pat and thank it for putting in its hard work and assure it that I will never do as good a job as it could do. Beta Cell is produced, recorded, and edited by me, Craig Steubing, and our theme music is by Purple Glitter. If you want to share your T1D journey and how life with this disease has shaped your approach to life, you don't have to write and start in a play like Jesse. Just visit type1nation.org and join the conversation in the Coping with Diabetes group. Be sure to subscribe to Beta Cell on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or the NPR One app to make sure you don't miss our final episode of this T1D Looks Like Me series. You can find Beta Cell on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Beta Cell Podcast. I'm Craig Steubing, and this is Beta Cell. <laughs>